Father, we ask you that you would do an amazing, a special, a powerful work today. We've already had an opportunity to be able to sing praises to you, to worship you, the God, the creator, our friend, our father, our judge. You are the one that brings life, and you are the one that gives life, and you are the one that loves each one of us. You have a plan. You've revealed it to us. And you've asked us to be your hands and your feet in our world. Lord, we are overwhelmed. We are privileged. We are grateful to partner with you. So we pray today as we look at your words that they would change us. We pray we would leave here today, Father, with wings, encouraged, convicted, that you, God, would be clearer and your words would be undeniable. In Jesus' name, amen. I'm so glad you're here today. We're in the third part of a mini-series But the bottom line, at least in our church, is that we love to come together in order to worship God, in order to clarify our vision of God, to try to understand a little bit more of who God is. Because when we see God clearly, we're drawn to God, we're not repelled. And we have an opportunity to be able to partner with Him. You know, Jesus changed all the paradigms. When Christ came into our world over 2,000 years ago, he changed it all. Even discipleship. Where at that time, well, people who wanted to sit underneath the teaching of a great teacher or go to a certain rabbi, they would... Well, petition. They would go to that rabbi. They would ask, could I live with you? Could I learn from you? (laughs) Jesus flipped that all around. The greatest of all teachers, what he did is saying, hey, would you come and follow me? Would you come and join me? And the people he picked, let's be honest, don't you chuckle? Don't you smile? They weren't the most educated. They weren't the sharpest. They were just really, really ordinary, and the majority of them were just blue-collar workers. Nothing against that, but you look at, if I'm going to start a movement, oh, I want those with charisma. I want those with strength. I want those who can communicate. I want those who are going to be stable. I don't want anybody to fly off the handle, you know. I don't want anybody taking swords out and chopping off people's ears. That would be a wrong person to get, you know. And you go through the list. And you're like, Jesus, what are you thinking? You're going to have these guys carry on your work? Seriously? Wow, 
we look at that. Jesus had been busy right before we open our text. And he'd been, well, working hard the 40 days after he was resurrected from the dead. You all know that Christ died in your place and my place. That Jesus shed his blood to take the wrath of God so that he might reconnect each one of us. That's an amazing message. It's the good news. And when people respond to that message and they become a follower of Jesus, their lives change. Little bit by little bit. God chips away the things on the inside of us that don't reflect him very well. All right? The anger and the lying, and, and you can just fill that in. But, but he chips that away so that when people see you, well, they start seeing Jesus. They start seeing how Jesus responds and how Jesus cares and how Jesus talks. <laughs> Say, oh, Rick, that's never going to happen in my life. And you know what? God's still working on me. How encouraging that God loves each one of us so much. You know what's really encouraging is literally your life. Say, oh, this is dumb. Where is this going? I'll just say it. The only reason you're here is that God has something planned for you. If not, he'd take you home. He could take you home in a variety of ways. I guarantee it. But when you wake up, you get out of bed and you say, God, I, I got an assignment. <laughs> Whoa, how cool is that? I've got an assignment. Now, the problem is when you're 15, 16, 17, you just assume you're going to be around for a long time. And you know we're not. No one guarantees it. And you also know when you're 60 or 65 or 70 or 75, you're going, oh, whoa, I, I don't, uh, yeah, I got a lot less ahead of me than behind me. I get that too. But who knows? So Jesus was meeting with these guys. He knew he was going back up to heaven, but he's teaching them and encouraging them. And we find out in our, ta- in our text, we find out in our text, he meets these 11 guys. They came in weakness, some confused, and some, well, doubtful, and some fearful. They knew Jesus would be leaving soon, and his words would be so important. This passage is critical, just like every other passage, but, but this feels a little more critical. It's the words Jesus said right before he left on this planet. It's the clear and the supreme mission of God's people. Yet often, this is not our focus. Some people think literally we were left on the planet for fellowship or community, or perhaps for learning His Word, or providing amazing programs or experiences. Or to alleviate social injustice. Or just for worship and praise. Now if this truly were the case, God would literally just take us to heaven as soon as we came to faith. 
because there's not going to be any kind of community like community there. We will be sitting at the Savior's feet, who is the living word. We will have the greatest of all experiences in heaven. There will be no social injustice to, elim- uh, or to eliminate. And our words over and over and over again, because we'll be so much in awe, our praise and worship. God's primary purpose for his kids is to stay on the planet and make disciples. Now, granted, I'm sure every one of you have read the passage we're going to read. In fact, some of you may even be a great teachers and have taught this. And some of you may be tuning out even right now. I'm asking you to stick with me to maybe allow the Holy Spirit to give you a different and a fresh perspective of these life-giving words. Remember, fellowship and teaching and praise are not the mission of the church, but rather the preparation of the church to fulfill its mission. So we've got to go to conferences. That's why we do Bible studies. Those are things all that happen in order to prepare us for the mission Remember, in athletics, training ought never to be confused with the competition. Turn with me in your Bibles to Matthew, chapter 28, verses 18, 19, and 20. Let me read for you our text for this morning. Jesus came and told his disciples, I have been given all authority in heaven and on earth. Therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I've given you. And be sure of this, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Jesus starts off in this very intimate moment. The things he's saying literally are not new. They aren't. But they're critical. They're the last words. And Jesus wanted to make sure he was so clear. He assures them of his authority and his power and gives them an assignment. He says this, therefore... In light of my sovereignty, therefore, because I am the king of kings, therefore, because I am creator God, keep making disciples everywhere. Everywhere. We all have so many different good translations. And what I'm hoping to do is literally be able to help you understand the power of these words, the way that Jesus said it directly to his disciples. This is the only command in the text we just read. Some people think go is the command. Go is not the command. Make disciples or keep making disciples over and over and over and over again. Then Jesus clarifies his directive in our text. He says, as we are going, is a participle. 
as you live life, an active participle. As you get up every morning and you do your normal routines, I want you to make disciples. All right? Make disciples. Now, who are you going to do this with? All nations. Now, again, that really made the Jews uncomfortable, as you know that. They were kind of self-focused people, right? I mean, it's just how it was. But for the Jews, <laughs> yeah, hey, wait a minute. Our assignment is to go make disciples, Jesus' followers, and you want us to go everywhere. <laughs> Even Samaritans? Oh, Gentiles? Yikes, come on. Can't we send someone else for that one? All people. And how do you do that? Literally, by baptizing and teaching. Now, some of you have this idea, okay, we're just going to take multitudes of people, run them right through a river, make sure they get immersed, and boom, we just obeyed you, Jesus. No. In the context, baptism is synonymous with salvation. Remember, all the way through the book of Acts, as soon as someone came to faith, immediately they looked around, is there a river? Can I get baptized? It almost was synonymous in the early times of the church. Are you a Christian? Yes. Have you been baptized? Yes. It just automatically happened. You see, new life was normal in the early church, and so was baptism. What Jesus literally is saying right here is, I want you to tell your stories. I want you to have spiritual conversations. I want you to help people understand who I am. I want them to come to faith so you can baptize them. I want you to understand how important this is. It is step one of all making disciples. It's evangelizing. Remember, baptism is publicly shouting, you are on Jesus' team, and he is your leader, period. Period. You're on Jesus' team, and he's your leader, and you want everybody to know. By the way, if you look in our bulletin, we're having a baptism service come in the middle of November. Be thinking of that. It is one of our grand celebrations. Unbelievable time where people tell their story. I was dead, and now I'm alive. Yeah. What? There's not a better story. Is there a better story? Tell me, is there a better story? No. I met Jesus. And now I have life. Yeah. How cool is that? And then Jesus said this, I also want you to know you're going to make disciples by teaching. By keep teaching. By teaching again and again and again and again. I want you to know you're going to keep baptizing people because they're going to come to the faith and you're going to keep teaching and teaching and teaching. What are you going to teach? Well, you're going to teach my commands. One needs to know the commands first before you can obey them. But Jesus is somehow giving the charge. I want you to be committed to knowing and obeying all the word. And then the beautiful statement at the end, literally, He says, I'm going to give you a promise. I am going to be with you always. Oh, yeah. I'm not just sending you out. All right? I I kind of am sending you out. That's true. 
but I'm going to be with you. How cool is that? I am going to be with you. I promise you, Jesus says, me for the assignment. So as inadequate as you think you are, or as hard as this seems to do, Jesus says, I'm there with you. I'm going to walk with you. Now, since making disciples is our mission, what does it look like today? All right. Now, if you want to be literal, does that mean, okay, we find about 12 people, uh, we walk around, we do teaching and healings, and, and for three years we hang out together? Well, it's probably not too far off. But let me put it in perspective. Making disciples today is a whole lot like parenting. Parenting. It's what good parents do with their kids. Now, there's a whole lot of good parents here. We all have all kinds of different philosophies, believe me. All right? All of us are very, very opinionated in how we raise the perfect child or rear the perfect child. You raise corn and you rear children. Yes, okay. Should remember that. How you rear children, all right? Good parents do life with their kids. This is not rocket science. They protect them. They model for them. They teach them. They motivate them during every stage of life. You don't motivate a six-year-old the same way as you motivate a 16-year-old. You don't talk to an eight-year-old the same way you talk to a 12-year-old. And even in your own family, every time one of your kids get to be eight, they're all at different stages. Wouldn't it have been just cool if we could just program them? You know, just have that little chip, put it right in the back of their head, right there, right at birth. Boom! Got this one. Thanks, God. Hello, mother. You know, and very, very cooperative, all right? But that's not how it works, is it? Some have a lot of struggles. Some have a lot of challenges. Every one of us think we have a perfect baby for about an hour. And then after that, things go downhill. How come mine's colicky? How come mine doesn't eat this? How come mine isn't respectful? How, and you just keep filling it in. But ultimately, good parents have one goal. And that is to unleash mature adults. We don't like talking about that a lot. But that's the truth. You nurture a child so that eventually you can bless them and they will be unbelievable adults. So parents slowly and gradually release control, which means less protection, less modeling, less motivation until they are unleashed. All right? Again, you're really, really, really strict at three about going in the street. Yet I have, maybe never, 
is a strong word, but I don't think I've ever heard a mom tell an 18-year-old getting out of the car, hey, we're in a parking lot, would you hold my hand? <laughs> that would be a little embarrassing, right? But that's okay. Maybe your 18-year-old's really slow in this area, you know, and, and you need to do that. But no matter where you are in the stage, no matter where you are in the relationship, if you see something that's going to happen, that's going to endanger life, you shout. You, you take the protocol and you throw it out the window, right? I often remember my mother, my older mother, my mother that hadn't been driving for a really long time. Taking her anywhere was a challenge for me because everything was an emergency. Rick, stop! Okay, Mom. Got it. But there were times, literally, she shouted and saved our lives. Okay, imagine that, you know. But, but it was true. It was true. And you look at that, and that's, and that's sort of the idea. We're never casual about anything threatening life. Now, let me say this. Making Jesus disciples is a lot like parenting. We may not like this, but it really is true. Disciplers, those who make disciples, do life with their kids or their disciples. All right? They protect and model and teach and motivate during every stage of their spiritual life because disciple makers get, well, disciples at all different stages. Some right out of the gates. Some maybe 10 years down the road. But disciples have one goal, and that is to unleash mature spiritual adults. Yes. Disciples slowly and gradually release control. There's less protection and less modeling and less motivating. As they get older, as they walk with God, as they begin to obey God in different ways before you unleash them. Yet even as a pastor or as a disciple maker, if I'm watching somebody go down the path of destruction, we will shout, danger, danger. Now, what I would like you to do is let me go a little bit further in this. And, and let's talk just a little bit about, well, discipling one another. In 1 Thessalonians, you can turn your Bibles there, the Apostle Paul talks just a little bit about how he cared. And just so you know, this is a church he only spent three weeks at. Some of us think we need to have this deep, relationship. We need to make sure that, that you know, uh, we've known these folks for a whole long time. But Paul literally discipled people in every church that he started. This one, three weeks. That was it before he took off and started another church. If you would look at chapter 2, we're going to start reading verse 7. As apostles of Christ, we certainly had a right to make some demands of you. But instead, we were like children, or maybe even a better translation, gentle. Or maybe the best translation, gentle children among you. 
We were like a mother feeding and caring for her own children. We loved you so much that we shared with you not only God's good news, but our own lives. Don't you remember, dear brothers and sisters, how hard we worked among you? Day and night we toiled to earn a living so that we would not be a burden to any of you as we preach God's good news to you. You yourselves are witnesses, and so is God, that we were devout and honest and faultless toward all of you believers. Now look at verse 11. And again, if you underline words or circle, here's some good ones to do it with. And you know that we treated each one of you as a father treats his own children. We pleaded, underline circle, with you. We encouraged, underline circle, and urge you to live your lives in a way that God would consider worthy, for he called you to share in his kingdom and his glory. First of all, he says this, when I hung out with you folks in Thessalonica, we were gentle, just like a mother who tenderly cares for her infant and makes sure that he or she is fed. Moms, especially with infants, are not harsh. They're careful. They're gentle. And then he uses three words. And again, I I just want to look at these words just a little bit. He said, we pleaded with you, we encouraged you, and we urged you. The word plead would probably be better translated in our culture as charged you or pushed you. Just like a coach is sitting there and talking to you about conditioning and making sure you do the plays. It's this person that, that has authority and, and he's really making sure that his team is listening. Secondly, he said encouraging. And there's not a better word. Uh, a father pumps your tires. Thirdly, urging. And it's a little stronger than the encouraging word. It's more like a cheerleader. But a cheerleader that's probably your girlfriend, okay, is all I'm saying, you know. A lot of people might be on the sideline saying, rah, rah, rah. But oh, man, if it's your special one. Whoa, all of a sudden, yeah, yeah, you can finish. Oh, yeah, baby, I can finish. Oh, yeah, score another one. Oh, yeah, I can score another one. You are watching. (laughs) That's the word. I want you to know. In life, in life, I'm going to be gentle. I'm going to feed you. I'm going to care for you. I'm going to plead. I'm going to encourage. I'm going to urge. Now, the big difference here, though, between parenting and disciple-making is that most of the time you don't live with them. So anytime you are making disciples, literally, you have to earn the right to be heard. You have to earn the right to spend time with them. And that's what happens sometimes in our youth ministries. That's what happens sometimes in new groups that form. As relationships start to be able to get a little bit deeper. There's also a principle in Scripture where we find out that you go to the responsive, those that actually respond to you. Right before Jesus unleashed his disciples, he trained them in Matthew chapter 9. He 
gave them all the power and authority in Matthew chapter 10, and he literally sent them out. One of his instructions to him was this. As you go into a town, if somebody receives you, stay with them and bless them. But if you go into a town and they don't, shake the dust off your feet and move on. If you look, probably a more familiar passage. Turn your Bibles with me to 2 Timothy chapter 2. 2 Timothy chapter 2, starting at verse 1. This is Paul, probably the greatest disciple maker, um, the greatest unleasher of all... Unleasher. It's probably not a word either, but that's okay. Um, that, that anybody has ever seen. In chapter 2, verse 1. Timothy, my dear son, my buddy, be strong through the grace that Jesus or that God gives you in Christ Jesus. Then he says this. Here's his instructions. Timothy, you have heard me teach things that have been confirmed by many witnesses, reliable witnesses, witnesses that have told you over and over again that I have taught right things. Now, here's the instruction. Teach these truths to other trustworthy people who will be able to pass them on to others, and I would underline that part. Because so many of us really in our discipling, we do really well in the teaching part. We do. But we don't do well in the unleashing part. We do really well in making sure you get content. But we don't do really well so that they might be able to literally be able to do the same thing that we're doing. You see, Jesus' disciples set Jesus' disciples up well. They unleash them to pass it on. We see this a lot in student ministry where, again, the older ah, leaders are able to work with our students and to be able to encourage them, but not only to walk with God, but to pass on what God is teaching them. We see this so much, and, and again, as, as kids grow up in very godly families, sometimes they don't want to go to youth groups, or they don't want to go on mission trips, or they want to, and you fill it in, because you know what, I've already heard that, and they have. But you know what we have to understand? is that we oftentimes don't go to youth ministry or Awana or camp just for us. We do it so that we might be able to help them develop as leaders, that they might be able to help others know Jesus. It's so much like today, coming to this church. Sometimes we think we don't go to church because we won't get something out of it. You may not. I don't know. Sometimes the preacher's pretty dry, you know. But we don't come just for that. We don't come just for the worship. We come in order to pour into others. We're always pouring in to others. All right. You know, it's sad to me 
that people who have walked with God for a long time are not discipling. Or maybe they don't even have a clue of what discipling is or how to do it. We care more in our culture about baseball or violin or you can fill in the blank. We spend money rearranging our schedules and cheering on our kids over and over in certain events and accolades. So sometimes when your kids surprise you and they begin to reflect some of your values, values that you don't exactly like, you get upset. But you've been modeling. You've been modeling for years generosity. You've been monitoring years for how important, well, ministry is. And sometimes they catch it. But just as life skills are taught and often reinforced, so are Jesus' followers' skills. Just so you know. You talk to some parents, even right now. What's your plan for rearing your kids? I don't know. What? Well, <laughs> Well, you want them to be responsible adults. Well, what's your plan? How do you do this? Where do you go? What advice? Have you read any books? Have you got together with any friends? No. My kids will be fine. I hope so. But just like life skills are taught, oh, Jesus' follower skills are taught. It always requires a plan and discipline. It does. If we just automatically think that our kids or our disciples or our people are just going to understand God's Word, don't count on it. Or that your youth leader is going to be the only one being able to teach it, don't count on it. I guarantee it. Okay? We want to pour in doctrine and character and ministry. We want to be able to monitor some of that. We want to be able to evaluate. We want to be able to hold our kids in some kind of accountability. I think, again, discipleship is often characterized by regular time together, objectives, accountability, and evaluations. Meetings are simple and planned and structured. I brought a notebook that I'd be glad to show anybody. But I developed this notebook just about 40 years ago. I had an opportunity to meet with one of the most influential guys I've, I've ever had in my life. His name was Tom Yakely. And I, up to that time, to 24, 25 years old, my dad poured into my life. But this guy, Tom Yakely, took me to a different level. And back then, what I did is, is actually is when I started as youth pastor at Moraine Valley Church. All right? And what happened there is that I began to systematically write down what I wanted to pour into people and to share with people and to monitor that and to make sure together and there was regular and accountable times and I was able to help them and and if they were a little deficient in ministry we talked a little more in that if they were a little deficient in doctrine we talked more in that if they were a little bit well you get the idea But the choice is ours. It always requires a plan and a discipline. 
So when Jesus says, go make disciples, it's just not going to happen. Just like if you think your kids are going to be reared in a healthy and a wonderful way, it's not going to happen. You've heard this saying, give a man a fish, you feed him for a day. Teach a man to fish, you feed him for a lifetime. Teach a man to teach others to fish, you feed the world. Now that's parenting, actually. Do you know that? So many parents, even today, I'm just going to give them the fish. I'm just going to give them the fish. I'm just going to enable them. I'll just do this. I'll just do this. I'll just do this. Well, we need to teach a man how to fish. What responsibility looks like. How to do laundry. How to clean up after you're done. How to make your bed. How to adjust your finances. How to be responsible for your actions. Say, well, yeah. Yeah. But it's the same way as a spiritual dad. The same way. And what happens is this. We can give someone a fish. They go away and they're fed. Tomorrow they're hungry again. They are. And this is our goal and our hope. And this is what spiritual parenting and parenting is all about. Now let me just ask this. Is making disciples a priority or much less even happening? Let's start with our church. Uh, How are we doing as a church, this church? Are we making disciples who make disciples? Now, I don't know every one of your private lives, but I know this. Stats right here today in our culture show us that most Jesus followers live indistinguishable lives than any one of your neighbors that don't know Jesus. I hear often, I want from parents, I want my kids to be happy. I very seldom hear, I want my kids to be disciple makers. Say, oh, Rick, you're... I get it. I do. But... Most of the time, that's not on our parents' minds. You know, many are not growing. Many don't have a plan. Many are just casual about their own Christian life. Remember, no one ever drifts into abundant living or making disciples. You do not wake up anytime and say, Whoa, I helped someone follow Jesus by just hanging out. Many don't want to learn. Many don't want to change. And just by the way, any God follower, as you open up God's word, it should change you all the time. The way you think, the way you act, the way you respond. But many of us don't want, we don't want to listen to God. We struggle with authority here on this planet. We don't like our parents. We don't like our bosses. We don't like our wife. We don't like, and you just fill it in. How are you supposed to listen to the ultimate authority if we can't even respect authority today? Many of us see the church as a country club. What does it do for me? 
rather than as a life-saving station, as some of you read that, the, the um, stuffer today. Literally, and we're going to follow a little bit in Ephesians when we get there, but we hire pastoral staff for preaching and program, or do we hire them to equip the saints? Wouldn't it be tragic, and, and let me just say this, wouldn't it be tragic when one hires a senior pastor because of his preaching rather than his disciple-making? Wouldn't that be tragic? And yet the majority of churches today, number one thing in hiring a senior pastor is his preaching. Staff is often consumed by good things, like pastoral care. Well, wait a minute. Aren't pastors supposed to do that? Time's sure. Painting walls. And you fill it in. There are times you do those things. I get it. But literally, staff, pastoral staff is hired to equip the saints. The best way, I think, to look at staff are player coaches. Let them get in the trenches. Now, is there a clear way of making disciples who make disciples here? We're going to chat about that in just a moment. But, but the truth is this. We have tried some different things and not always been well received. It's just the truth. And actually, I'm okay with that because I think we're all growing in some ways. But we offered this class called Spiritual Boot Camp. And we're not trying, again, to make disciples by going to a class. But what I tried to advertise it is, hey, if you're new in the faith, this might help you understand what is critical. But if you're not new in the faith and you need to hand off some critical things, it would be wonderful for you to be able to come to this class so you know, at least in my experience, what the 10 most important things you can do to help your kids or help your disciples, whatever, grow in their relationship with Jesus. We had eight people sign up. Now, it could be busy. I get it. I do. But you know, as I walk around and as I chat with different people and ask, who are you working with? Where's your accountability? How are you growing? It's all, I got no one. I wouldn't even know what to do. Okay. Wow. I think we look at this celebration, honestly, if this is a core meeting group. It is. But again, we've got some missional community coming up or our student ministries. This is another way for us to be able to connect. And then we go down into life groups, but ultimately the way to go are the triads or the quads or the DNA groups, which we're talking about, where there's three or four or five people coming together and just helping each other learn in their relationship with God and how to pass it on. We rely on programs because we don't want to pay the price of personal investment that discipleship requires. A.W. Tozer, which might not mean anything to most of you, but he's kind of a hero of mine. He said this, programs do not make disciples, disciples make disciples. Wow. You know, for years, I did one-on-one 
way back. This is what I taught Rick one-on-one. Paul did Timothy one-on-one. Over the years, I've changed. Uh, I think the best way now are triads or quads. To be able to interact with one another. I love hearing about, well, older, more mature believers meeting with younger believers who are hungry so that they might be able to be trained in how to walk with God and how to hand that off. So what do you do? Well, the truth is you will never, ever, ever, ever get vision or the heart of God by listening to this preacher. You won't. I don't think any preacher. Because always that's what Jesus would have done, to be quite honest. He was the best. He chose to spend time with 12. And then really with three. And those were the guys that changed the world. It really was. He just systematically did life with them. I said, where, where do you start? Well, first of all, you start at home. Some of you guys have parents. Some of you have kids. Hey, start at home. Working with them, encouraging them, strengthening them. Or your circle of influence. Again, we spend money. We rearrange our schedules. We cheer on our kids. We want to make sure they do really, really, really well in soccer. I I want them to do well too. But I want them to do better in disciple making. I do. You know, there's a lot of material out there. There's a lot of ways to go about this. But let me share with you this, is that leadership to me is about installing urgency. I don't think a leader is a leader if you just allow the folks you have influence over just to go and live their lives the same way, doing the same things with the same passion. I just don't. The church is a life-saving station. We have a great mission statement. But Jesus gave us the mission and showed us how it was done. It was a crazy plan with a group of ordinary men that changed the world. i got to be honest. Working on this message this week was convicting. You want to always say that you've arrived. You want to always say that, that oh, you, you've got it together. But God kept convicting me and showing me where I need to grow. How about you? You know, every single week that you're here, I ask you to fill out a card. I can count maybe on my hand maybe both hands, in three years where I've had anybody say, you know what, can you help me? Can, can you help me grow? I want to know Jesus better. And I'm not mad at you. I'm not. But it just doesn't seem to be that important. But Jesus said it was important. That's all I'm saying. I'm not saying this. Well, you can get mad at me, but don't get mad at me. You know? The greats, the great commandment, the great invitation, and the great commission. It's all hanging in our lobby, if you've ever seen it. All those are right there in our lobby every single week when you walk in. 
May Christ's words ignite each one of us. In fact, I'm going to pray. But it's in Jesus' name that together we change the world. And we're going to sing about it in a moment. So let's pray. Father, I thank you. I thank you for your words. I thank you, dear God, for, well, the nudge you've given me. And I thank you for the nudge that you're giving us. Lord, sometimes we're, we're busy. Most of the time doing good things. But God, you've given us life. You've transformed us. You've given us an assignment to let others know about who you are and then to help them follow you so they can pass it on. May we do this, God. May we grow in this area. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand and sing together. All right, let's clap. Our God is all he says, all he says he is. Yes, our God is all he says, all he says he is. Yes, our God is all he says, all he says he is. Jesus, in your name, we can change the world. We stand in your love, in your power. All you say we are Jesus in your name We could change the world Jesus in your name We could change the world We're saying yes Lord Yes Lord What else could we say? What else could we say? We're saying yes, Lord, yes, Lord. We're going all the way, we're going all the way. We're going to live like this. Yes, our God is all he says, all he says he is. Yes, our God is all he says, all he says he is. Yes, our God is all He says, all He says He is. Jesus, in Your name, we could change the world. So we stand in Your love, in Your power. All You say we are. Jesus, in Your name, we could change the world. We believe, we believe it. Jesus, in your name, we could change the world. We could change, we could change it. Jesus, in your name, we could change the world. Please be seated. If any 